Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Geoffrey Hart. This is the second of the birthday slash coronavirus uh, triple bill. This episode is with Beth Williams. Beth is a structural engineer, certified passive house designer. She's passionate about diversity in construction, timber engineering, and efficient, humble design. That's taken directly from her Twitter bio. And I think reading that bio was was what really made me want to talk to Beth on this podcast. I think there's a lot in there that really interests me. Maybe some of you don't know exactly what a structural engineer does, and that's something we talk about in this podcast. But it's quite rare, I found, for a structural engineer to really be interested in timber and to have sustainability as as something so high up in their, in their priorities. So we start this conversation by talking about what exactly a structural engineer does, how they're involved in a, in a project. There's often quite a lot of uh, friction, maybe, between builders and structural engineers. And so it's really nice, this uh, yeah, this is a conversation between a builder and a structural engineer. And I think uh, these conversations go a long way to actually helping us understand where the other is coming from, uh, and so we can work better together. So I met Beth at one of the Green Register events organised by Lucy, who featured in the last podcast. We had a a really pleasing conversation where Beth told me that she wanted to train up uh, to become a a timber grader, uh, meaning that she could inspect pieces of timber uh, and say what what sort of strength category they're in. Uh, I really enjoyed that that idea of of really getting hands-on. It feels like maybe a a rarity in in structural engineers so i was instantly uh pleased to have met beth um so within this podcast we talk uh about how sustainability became part of her engineering we talk about getting the best from your structural engineer Uh, we talk a lot about the difficulties in specifying timber um and how how every timber is different and can be grown and cut in different ways and therefore affects the the calculations. We talk a little bit about diversity, uh, diversity in construction, and we talk a little bit about her own home, the retrofit that she is undertaking and the work that she's already done and what she hopes to do. So that's it for me for now. I will be back at the end. Enjoy the podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. Um, a lot of people um, know what what architects do. They know what builders do. They sometimes know what quantity surveyors do, but most of them don't know. Um, yeah, that but partly uh, that structural engineers exist as a profession. So yeah, what I tend to what I tend to say to people is um, that uh, architects design the spaces and how the building looks, um, how it feels to be in, and then we make it stand up. <laughs> so that's the, that's the sort of simplest explanation. I mean, yeah, because most people think that that's part of what the architect does, that they they make the building stand up as well. And I'm like, no, no, that's a separate, whole separate job now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what I tell people. Okay. Yeah. And then, so if I was uh, building my own home, what what sort of interaction would I have with you um, about uh, about the construction? Yeah, so it, it it depends a bit um, on the sort of we we do a range of projects um, from really tiny just beam one beam knock through people taking out a wall in their house all the way up to sort of non domestic um, student resi and all sorts of things. But um, so it, it depends how much interaction we have with the client depends on the size of the job really yeah. with um with small um beam knock throughs um with no architect involved um we'll obviously be directly liaising, liaising with the client and, and the builder um it's to sort of work out what they want it to look like and um so we but with them um, with larger projects we tend to be more involved um via the architect so we whilst we're generally working for the client sort of notionally we um we work most of our work is liaising with the architect working out the details um yeah working out how things are going to get built um with with the builder and, and with the architect so yeah that's it tends to split depending on the size of the job okay so with a, a larger project it might be that the the client might never even speak to you yeah yeah which is which is quite strange because um, I, when I first graduated, because um, my degrees in structural engineering and architecture, so I, when I first graduated, I worked with um, an architect's practice, um, and it, it's it, yeah, you're you're constantly involved with the client, you're you're asking them loads of questions um, on that side of things, um, and then to come to some jobs where if yeah if we can have minimal contact with the client, it might just be that we get an email from them to say that we were appointed, and then we send them invoices but there's nothing in between which which is 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 difficult and um yeah it's it's um yeah 
it's one of the things I struggle with a bit about about what we do and how how we're appointed um, yeah. sometimes. Yeah, but that's that's how we how we tend to work. Uh, I guess so. We've uh, or I've worked with quite a lot of structural engineers over the years, and mm. there's been a real range in uh, sort of sustainability thoughts. Uh, for some, it hasn't hasn't been the remotest. Uh, possibility and we've had to fight and and you know really uh push them to to come up with sort of more sustainable solutions um and then others yeah they've been a bit more a bit more giving or a sort of uh you know it's been more of a focus for them but you you put mm. uh sustainability sort of higher up your your uh list of of sort of offerings don't you mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's an odd one, sort of. I guess from the start, thinking about what we learned about sustainability at university, um, I think maybe we had a lecture course on sustainability. But when engineers tend to talk about sustainability, it's it's wider than just um, environmental sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it, they they tend to talk about it in sort of the whole economic and social sustainability as well. Um, uh, so it's and when at university our, our our sustainability lecture course 10 lectures um was was that kind of broad spectrum of, of sustainability mm-hmm. um it does depend on where you go at university and then sort of thinking about materiality um as well um we had so, one lecture on timber in four years at university really? we had one lecture on on masonry yeah that that's and that's kind of usual um yeah then the rest was on steel and concrete um and that's sort of, and that's still i i like um i tutor at um bath university ue and cardiff and um that it's all similar um it, it the focus depends slightly but um that's a sort of usual engineer graduating nowadays um that's how much sort of sustainability they will have had um input um, and materials uh, specific as well so it's that's that's sort of where when when i talk to people about this i'm sort of trying to say that's where a lot of engineers are coming from that is that is the level of experience of Mm -hmm. understanding that you are sort of standard getting um and uh, from my experience, I, I knew that I wanted to focus on sustainability um, before going to university. That was what, um, one of my focuses in coming into the industry. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was a builder, and he he was a, a sustainable builder. He's he's been that the whole the whole of his working life, and and um, so I, I I had an understanding. I'd spent most of my childhood hanging around on building sites, waiting for him to finish work. So so that was my 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 experience of it. And so, but I knew that I wanted to focus on that. And it was interesting, um, sort of coming out of university. Um, you, you always come out really starry eyed, thinking you're going to change the world. But um, a lot of people telling me, oh, you're you're struggle to get work in that. Um, looking at sustainability, or oh, we don't get much timber engineering, or it'll be really difficult to. Um, to focus really difficult to make a business case to do that kind of thing and it was interesting the negativity around that um not not just from other engineers but from people in the construction industry yeah. well wider than that um but and it has been a concerted effort to to focus on on um, 
getting sustainability projects as, as like my main workload and and it's taken a little while to get there but um it actually sort of somehow <laughs> ended up there now but um <laughs> yeah it's just sort of it, it it isn't it isn't an easy thing and it isn't something that can't just sort of drops into your lap i think especially as a as a structural engineer or civil engineer um it did take a bit of concerted effort um mm. so yeah and, and the and the and the um the understanding in in the sort of civil engineering world as a whole of of particularly sort of super low energy type projects low carbon type um, projects um is is limited um and is quite a way behind i think even behind things like the architecture profession and perhaps some of the builders as well um i think sometimes we're still sort of struggling to catch up sometimes with with how we approach sustainability mm-hmm. i've just done my um chartership um process as well gone through that just before christmas and um uh, one of the one of the core objectives for your chartership um, is sustainability, and I went to a little um, course run by the by the local institute branch about sustainability, and um, <laughs> I sort of lost the plot a little bit with um, when when the guy running the course um, started talking about the sustainability approach of why you would buy a Land Rover Defender over over anything else over an electric vehicle, and I was like, oh. Okay, this is this is where we're coming from on this. Um, so, so I was like, yeah, yeah. So, but that's sort of uh, sort of the level, um, of, yeah, yeah uh, where where the where engineering or civil engineering anyway as a whole sort of is sat um, in the sustainability field. I feel like uh, I've I've battled similar uh, well similar things in building. I think building. Being a builder, it, it's definitely now getting better and uh, making good good networks of of other people who are doing the same things, and it's uh, mm. uh, yeah, it's it's uplifting and and you know keeps me going. But right at the beginning, just dealing with conventional builders who scoffed at mm. uh, just the idea of of eco uh, sort of natural materials, yeah, you know, it wasn't yeah. what they knew, so they they wrote it off. Um, no, and people don't think you can make a business out of it. No. Yeah, they they just sort of laugh at your naivety about um, thinking that you could maybe make it work as a as a business. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm so glad that you uh, you have focused, and it sounds like um, you know you really had to it had to be off your own back. Uh, you know, your your drive yeah. to, to get to get that as as what you wanted to do. Yeah, and it was it was a good sort of probably sort of four or five years of going to uh, I spent a lot of time going to AECB events, Association mm-hmm. Environmental Environmentally Conscious Building. Um, there was there's a good um, group of people in the sort of Gloucestershire, Herefordshire, Worcestershire kind of area. I yep. went along to a lot of um, a lot of their their visits that they did and the conferences and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, um, but it was it was a good sort of yeah few years of doing that of my own, in my own time of my own back and yeah just i mean it was it was infinitely useful because there's so many people in that um world that have so much knowledge that um mm. it's, it's really interesting to sort of talk to them about it but um yeah it's it's definitely a concerted effort to to get that going and make those contacts do you do you feel like it's changing at all uh with the work you're doing with bath and and huey <sighs> 
I don't know. I I don't. It's difficult to compare it with people at university because everyone at university, like I said, thinks they're going to come out and change the world. Mm. And it doesn't always work like that, <laughs> sadly. And I it's sort of, it, we need some more of that, but, but I think we've always needed more of that in, in people who work in the industry. That's partly why I do the tutoring, to keep that kind of excitement about what you're doing in projects and what you could do with projects, pushing the boundaries rather than just sort of whacking out the same old steel sizes every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, it's, um, I don't know. I think we need to get some of that excitement somehow but i don't think that's a sort of new problem i think that's just sort of um the difference between when you're studying and then when you're trying to make a business out of it yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah um, so, it's tricky. uh i wanted to very briefly uh just jump back to uh what you said about your dad that's it's fascinating to mm. hear that uh he was a, a, a eco builder that must have been yeah, yeah one, of the, one of the real early adopters. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, doing. I think doing some interesting stuff, which I, I don't think I really appreciated fully as a child. But um, now looking back on it and having having the same conversations with people nowadays, especially that kind of, oh, can we make a business out of it? I'm like, my, my dad made a business out of this like yeah. 30 years ago. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you think it's going to be a struggle now. Um, but yeah, so he was, um, he was one of the um, group who set up the AECB, the Association of Environmentally Conscious Builders, as it was originally, and then it became building um, more generally. Um, so sort of, yeah, a few a few of them sort of, um, I think, sort of Stroudish way when they first set it up, as most of these things come out of Stroud originally. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, so he, he doing um, things like rammed earth walls and um, straw bale building and um, a laser timber frame um yeah all those kind of things for um i grew up in cheltenham so in the cheltenham gloucestershire kind of area yeah. um yeah so he he was he's, uh, he's retired now mostly <laughs> so he's still still building his own extension but he's, he's supposed to be mostly retired um um <laughs> but um yeah doing doing that so that's sort of what i grew up which i guess yeah like i said was kind of invaluable really seeing that so you could run a business um doing that that people were interested mm. um i think people are really easy to get cynical about oh nobody will want it so you can't find the people who are interested nobody really nobody will spend their money on this kind of thing but um yeah, yeah. It, that was yeah really valuable to have that that um role model i guess yeah it puts yeah. you in a, a unique position to to yeah. uh, have have seen it working and to to know that it's not not this new wishy-washy hippie thing it's you know it's functional it's mm. practical yeah i was gonna say i think also um just that kind of appreciation of builders and the skill that they bring as well aside from sustainability having that appreciation um i think sometimes in in the professional sort of side of things we can get quite snobbish about what we know compared to what builders know and but having that appreciation yeah. of of builders who are thinking about things um carefully and sensibly and and who have have skills that are different to like my set of skills different to most builder set of skills but it's still equally valuable in terms of the design and what you can bring to the project as a whole that, that i yes. value as well Yes, uh, there's there's a lot of talk of uh, you know how the 
the professionals all think that the builders are you know do poor quality work and then the uh mm. builders all think that the you know the the engineers and the architects are all out of touch and you know can't actually build mm. anything. Uh, mm. and it's it's a shame because when everyone works together uh you know great great things can really happen yeah yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because because in reality, no, I couldn't I couldn't build stuff as well as you can. Like uh, I don't build stuff on a regular basis. I'm that's that's not how I'm learning about building. But it's it, it's valuable both ways. It's valuable learning about it in the practical sense. It's valuable learning about it in the more theoretical sense, and and then bringing those two sort of sides both together to build to good projects and sensible projects and uh, things that are going to last as well. Yeah. I just spoke with uh, with Lucy uh, from the Green Register this morning, director of the Green Register. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I was noticing that you have just done a, a talk for them. Yes, yes, um, just before lockdown, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, got that in quick at the start of March. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, so just um, mainly talking about that was sort of entitled um, – what was it entitled for them but it's in my head i think of it as structures for passive household and then i added and other low energy buildings and then also low carbon buildings as well so the title <laughs> got a bit rambling in the end by the time i'd finished with it but um yeah and, and getting the best out of your engineer as well because it's not it's there's no way that i'm going to be doing all of the low energy passive house projects in the country and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be that way either but making um helping other people to get the best out of the engineer that they have appointed and um yeah it was a little bit about how engineers think um how we approach projects and then a little bit about my experience of building mostly timber frame passive house and low energy projects excellent was it well received I think so. I think <laughs> I might have gone a little bit too into some engineering terms for architects. It's so it's so <laughs> difficult to to um, se- separate out what what is stuff that everybody knows and what is stuff that no just people who are stuck in your little engineering world know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and all the acronyms that you get so used to saying, and then you realise that nobody else understands what you're talking about. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, so I think. Um, and it's difficult because those are they're all um, their sessions are sort of five o'clock in the afternoon to seven o'clock. So just after people have been at work all day, just trying to find stuff to um, yeah keep them entertained whilst mm-hmm. they're sort of nodding off, having spent the whole day at work. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I did a bit of model building to start with, making um, little structural models out of um, spaghetti and marshmallows. So I thought that would engage them as we got in from work. <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a great starter to get get people's brains <laughs> engaged. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm particularly intrigued intrigued by the uh, getting the best out of your engineer uh, element of that talk. Mm. I was wondering yeah. if you give us a sneak peek without giving away too much, because obviously, uh, <laughs> don't want to take away from the green register. <laughs> what was I talking about? So I think it was it was a little bit about what I was saying earlier um, about just sort of going through where most engineers are coming from having graduated and having done chartership and and what your sort of base level of understanding of of um, sustainability issues will generally be um and then i um did a whole 
thing about how how we approach projects which i think is some maybe slightly different to how sort of other professionals and builders are approaching projects so i um started off with a sort of little talk about um the the buildings fall down mm-hmm. um basically <laughs> um that's sort of generally generally the approach that was sort of how we start projects how i think i start projects is basically how will the structure fall down that's right. that's how I how will it fail? How, what would be the issues of how it would fail? So just pictures of things failing, and I mean it's a question I get a lot or comment I get a lot. Oh, oh do, do structures really fall down? Do buildings really fail? And you're like, well, yes, they do because gravity <laughs> works. Um, and um, yeah, so, so, so like the wind blows, yes, and the wind wind is very strong. Um, so I just went through a little bit of reminding people of where um, we're coming from as well, because I think for a lot of engineers, especially if you're working domestic size projects, you do new build um staff and extensions and, and, and new structures but you also sort of probably about 25 percent of our workload is surveying existing structures that are failing in various forms right. so that when when that is more often part of your workload i think you're sort of looking at defects and and how things could go wrong a bit more so i was just sort of trying to try, trying to sort of highlight that that's where we're coming from um that things do go wrong that um structures do fail um for various different reasons and um, just sort of highlighting that as a something to keep in mind when you're when you're dealing with structural engineers <laughs> basically <laughs> that's, that's good I, I probably uh could have could have uh had that advice a little bit sooner i've i've definitely uh uh you know have, had my head in my hands at times at, at just how how over engineered a thing seems to be uh and yeah. I've maybe shake, shaken my fist a little bit and gone, oh, structural engineering. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, it's, of course, yeah, it's a very, it's, yeah, it's a vital thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was getting that um, in, in some of my tutoring as well recently where I was tutoring alongside an architecture tutor and and um, there a lot of the projects are quite sort of speculative and they're testing out new materials and they was just sort of like, oh, we'll, ju- we'll just test it out and see if it works and if it doesn't work, then we'll just put it right and and i was like yeah but don't do that with the structure if, if things go if things don't quite work out with your structure you could kill somebody so, so test it out fine whatever with the insulation with stuff that could could you could rectify without necessarily have killed somebody in order to get to that point so just it's that kind of i think especially if if, if architecture architects are, are tutoring a lot, a lot they're sort of in that oh we'll just test it out and see and and particularly in the um low energy sustainable building world where where things are quite sort of early on in the sort of research stages um often um it's like oh we'll just we'll just try it out and see um and yeah <laughs> i think I'm, I'm always a bit hesitant about that approach towards structures particularly yeah um, because yeah pe- people die <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I've, I've definitely had people ask what what's the worst that can happen and i'm like well well death that would that would be the worst yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it can happen yeah so um yeah it's um just just having that appreciation that that's that that's where people are coming from mm-hmm. um and it's and and in that if you're trying to change an engineer's mind in their approach to something, that those are the kind of things that you're having to 
to get over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would that yeah. would weigh weigh quite heavy on your conscience, wouldn't it? If uh, if you'd, mm. you'd pandered to someone's crazy idea and then and then something went wrong. Yeah, and I think um, and sort of related to that, I was, I was talking. I think I was talking about um, sort of how if you if you're going with something like that, that something is experimental, then coming with with data, coming with stuff, something that's more than just oh, we'll just try it out or. Oh, it's been oh, some so and so has done this before, but yeah. coming with the with the sort of this is the, this is the data that somebody has researched. This is the this is the weight behind what you're saying. These are the number of projects that have been done. These this is how long they they've been standing. They've been on site or whatever uh-huh. that kind of thing. Coming with yeah, I think um, and uh, this isn't a criticism uh, of structural engineers. It's just a sort of <laughs> acknowledgement of the the world we live in i think the uh, uh having to deal with insurance and uh, mm. you know i i've often felt like a structural engineer probably comes up with a number and then has to multiply it by a factor uh so you're talking about the thickness of a timber uh the you know the, the sort of fear factor of of um having to be insured uh and and that's mm. that's the true dimension of timber you end up with is this sort of multiplied number I don't know how if that's in any way uh, you know true true of the real situation but it it's as a builder that's how it's it seems We'll be back after a quick break Hey there I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat show That's right and I'm Pat Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends Well you're in luck We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary discuss culture and politics and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. It's, um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously factors in the design codes. You sort of, you factor up the loads and you factor down the capacities of of the material you're building with. And that's Mm. sort of, how you come to a solution i guess the sort of fear factor around timber i think comes a lot with we're used to dealing with steel or and concrete um to some extent where the material properties are that it's made in a factory to some extent um and we you know you can you you know the properties with certainty and they are they are the same all the way through the material yeah again to some extent but timber and, and masonry as well, because they're natural, sort of use quotes around that, but they're, they're sort of come come sort of more as, as they grow or as they're found in in the world. Um, you have you have an element of uncertainty around what the material is actually going to behave like because we, we have our design strength classes for, for timber um, for example, and you've got a C16, a C24, and we and things get graded to that, to those grades or, or whatever. But um, and and you've got some kind of certainty in that. But there's always the risk that that particular piece of material might be wildly different to its mm. neighbour because the tree grew differently. It was it came from I don't know maybe a different forest or just on the different side of a forest on the outside of a forest versus the inside of a forest, and and that can change the properties so much. And you've got to have sort of 
certainty in a lot of processes um, in order to get to that point that the people are grading um, appropriately into the right standards and whether they're doing it visually or or using machine grades and there's lots of uncertainties built into that compared to the steel and the concrete that you're yeah. used to that is made in a factory or matched in a factory or yeah yeah, yeah. more more steel rather than concrete there's more uncertainty with concrete but mm-hmm. you've got that kind of more more uncertainties inherent in the material because of because it's different and it's not factory made right um and that's that increases the the uh you know the, the uncertainty factor so you're yeah you're scaled up a bit um and, and then i guess if you're doing something experimental as well if you're doing something outside of the the design standards the euro codes or the british standards um that are established that if you were to if you were to work to the the standards and even even then if something went wrong if you were shown to have worked to the given standards and uh, there would be some kind of security in that in terms of your insurances but if you're doing something that's more experimental and there's no standard there's no material data you're, you're having to make a judgment there's more there's more stuff where it becomes more opinion rather than sort of a, a sort of standard yeah. certainty you, you've got more inherent risk in in that and yeah i think that's where people get um, more worried about stuff <laughs> um you you mentioned just uh, briefly there uh, grading uh, of timbers uh, and i think mm-hmm. some people might not be aware of what a c16 timber is what a c24 timber is uh mm. can you talk a little bit about that yeah, I mean, it's essentially just sort of groups of properties. If you've got a C, and then that you can you can take that grade and you can put that that grade into a table, and it will tell you all the different structural properties of that material that that it mostly probably will meet if it's if it's met that grading standard. And then um, I don't know that might not make any sense at all. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but and then you, so essentially, it's, it's somebody will have looked at that bit of timber, and either either they will have looked at it and and on their experience and their training, they will say that that meets a certain standard, or um, or they will have put it through a machine that will load it and then tell you whether it whether it's meeting a certain standard. Um, and it's sort of a pass fail thing. Yeah, so I might need to explain that better. <laughs> let me know, let me know no, if you've got any questions. <laughs> um, I'm intrigued by the, the testing process. Um, so it's a it's largely visual grading, isn't it, that, that's done, is my understanding. In in the UK, yes. And in hardwoods, yes. Um right larger producers of softwoods like Canada and, and Europe, continental Europe um, to have more machine grading and Scotland to some extent they do machine grade um, some softwoods up in Scotland um, but then yeah the rest of England, Wales and hardwoods especially UK grown again hardwoods um, most of it's visually graded which is essentially just somebody looking at a, a bit of timber and i think 
uh, it's not something I'm trained in. So this is just my perspective at the moment. <laughs> it's something I'm hoping to get trained in. <laughs> but essentially, from my understanding, it's looking at particularly looking at the straightness of the timber, the straightness of the grain and the number of knots in a particular piece of cut. It's, it's once it's sawn. So once the once the uh, timber is um, processed from the round log to to sort of cut bits of timber that you would use in a structural perspective. Um, and then somebody looking at that and, and saying, yes, that meets that standard. That meets maybe a slightly higher standard because it's a nicer bit of timber. Yeah. Yeah. So you could theoretically start with the same tree and cut it in two different ways uh, and you'd get two different mm. gradings because of the, the grain direction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. All the, all the sort of quality and straightness of it. And the, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then um, when you're specifying timber, is it, I'm thinking about, well, I'm thinking about a specific example where we, <laughs> we were told to, uh, we had to use a C24 100 by 100 post. Uh, we had to use quite mm-hmm. a few of those. And they're not a very mm-hmm. commonly used bit of timber. Uh, and they're mm-hmm. very, very expensive because of it. Um <laughs> When um, when you're specifying timbers, how are you how are you choosing what goes where? Are you you're looking at the forces on the building and then and then choosing from a table. Is that is that right? Or am I over? I feel like I'm probably over. Well, because timber doesn't come in sort of. It, well, it does. It does come in set sizes, but in a way doesn't because you can saw it to any size you want um mm-hmm. so it's unlike steel which comes in a, a range of set eye section sizes and whilst you can get it fabricated in all sorts of different things those are the set tables we don't we don't necessarily have access to tables that are common sizes of timber which i think okay. is a part of the problem as well so we are just um generally so we, uh, I use a calculation, um, calculation software, TEDS, it's called, um, and you can you put in your forces on your beam, and then it's got a drop down list of of sizes, uh, which are sort of standardised to some extent, but then um, you can also then manually change the sizes in that, and you can put in whichever dimension you fancy. Um, so. I think some some of the thing comes from we we're obviously coming from a, a different perspective on some sort of sizing. We're just sizing usually based on what the easiest thing to pick up from the drop down table in the calculation software is, right. um, <laughs> uh, or what you've particularly used before. But we're not buying the timber, so we uh, I know but I don't have an appreciation necessarily of what the what the cheapest sizes are because it might be that if you if you've got a hundred by hundred post specified a 97 by 97 post is actually what's more widely available um mm. and it, the, it, maybe that's not going to make a huge amount of difference to the actual calculation but it just happens to have been what numbers they put in um and generally engineers like to round to the nearest five millimeters anyway so if it's close enough yeah but but so so there's some things in this this is why i like the conversations with with the builders and i why i like working on projects that have builders appointed rather than just sort of tendering for a, a an unknown builder because you can i can call up and go well, what sizes can you get hold of and i will calculate based on those things that you can mm-hmm. um 
get hold of. Similarly, even with things like the engineered wood products, which do come in set tables of certain sizes that they manufacture and they and on the internet it seems like you can get loads of sizes um because you look on the on the product manufacturer's website and there's every single size you could possibly want um and then you realize that that's what you can get on continental europe and they don't actually ship most of those sizes to the uk um so what you can get from this massive a4 size table is like three sizes um and we but we we're not buying those things so we don't know that necessarily as, a, as engineers well, me i don't know that as engineers other engineers might be more fair of these things but <laughs> i i don't look at that and and i i would i really value that kind of feedback actually no i can't get hold of that timber can mm. we can we change it that i'd rather i'd rather have that conversation and change it to something that is cheaper to get hold of because sometimes it can make massive difference to the cost just a sort of a three mil size difference that isn't yeah, going to change really or shouldn't really change your calculations i'm not designing stuff that's necessarily that close to the bone you know, where three millimeters would make that much difference to the calculations most of the time um so i'd rather have that conversation and get the best for the client out of that and, and this is why i'm so pleased that i got your business card <laughs> <laughs> music music to my ears um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm intrigued to know um, what sort of uh, decisions you can make and what, what sort of your approach to sustainability is uh, and what sort of scope you mm-hmm. have to, to really specify things which are, which are going to be better. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of some things um, like that, just sort of sizing things sensibly and and wider than just a sort of environmental sustainability point as well, sort of thinking about the economic sustainability Um and um, yeah, so thinking about that, um, one of the things I've been learning about recently on on the sort of timber engineering side is um, about grading and uh, learning about um, sort of how we grade in, in the UK grown timbers. Think, thinking about projects where they're in, where they're interested in using UK grown timber mm. or softwoods because that tends to be what we use most in, in most house building. Um, and how I was learning that because because we um visually grade in this country um there's a limit to the sizes that you can visually grade um some most species of of uh, softwoods too are in the in the british standard for the visual grading mm. so um you so often they talk about this a lot in the sort of uk timber market you can't often get uk timber up to a a um, C24, which tends to be the sort of standard that most engineers will specify. Yeah. Um, partly, I think, because it's the default value in the calculation software. But maybe that's my cynical view of it. Um, maybe other people are putting slightly more thought into it. But um, yeah, I, I don't think in necessary people, people, I hear a lot of the things, oh, oh, it's really difficult to design in C16. And I think well, I don't see how it would be that much different to designing in C24. It's just that it's not the default. You'd have to make sure that you remember to change the drop-down box every time you went in to do the calculation. But that's <laughs> uh, something that is possible to do. And and you'd have to be able to allow for slightly deeper, wider sections um, because it's not as yeah. sort of strong. Um, and, yeah, so, so it's those kind of things, just thinking about sort of those kind of tweaks to how you can specify 
that's that's timber for example so we as a com- company now we're thinking about giving people the option so if you we could design a c24 this is this is the sizing option but if you wanted a c16 it would be this if you wanted to get the uk timber we you could do that there. just giving people options and even on things um that are seen as less green like concrete there's there's um changes you can make to the specification of concrete um adding in um cement alternatives um to displace some of the proportion of portland cement that you're putting in the mix that don't change well don't adversely change the structural properties um but would significantly reduce the carbon in the in the material um it's, it's things like that just giving people the option that they could do those kind of things to change things and then there's obviously all the, the discussion about um designing things really um sort of close to not not leaving any room for movement in the design which is i don't know i sort of always in terms of the sizing sort of making sure that all of your all of your elements are designed with optimum efficiency um which is Uh i it's something i hear a lot from university students I don't know whether there's been something going around about uh, that that being a problem with engineers' designs. That a lot of something about uh, there was there's a lot of room for error, margin for error in our in our designs, which I I don't think is really true from seeing uh, not just our designs but other engineers' designs. Um, I don't think people are designing with my, um, like miles of margin for error. I think. Um, most people are trying to design efficient structures, but it's difficult, especially in sort of, I don't know whether it's especially in our sort of domestic market or or it might be true of, of larger projects as well. But it's my, my experience sort of the domestic scale where sometimes you're relying on other people having measured up, um, yeah. maybe a domestic client having measured up or, um, they're not quite being 100% sure about how wide they want an opening or something or or that they might change it slightly because, I don't know, they want to get a, a kitchen unit around something. I find So I tend to design sort of spans with a sort of probably 100-ish mil margin of error in case the, the, in case the opening size changes a bit. And then you're, I'm not necessarily designing it perfectly efficiently then but it, it it means that i'm also then not wasting the client's money by having to yeah. charge them for redesigns every time that they change the opening by 50 mil um so and a lot of things in in masonry buildings the especially the sort of small domestic stuff the beam sizes are chosen on the width of the masonry unit anyway you could probably get a smaller beam size to work but the the masonry wall is 100 mil wide so you need a beam that is 100 mil wide to fit underneath it so there's some sort of practicalities in an actual buildability that mean that designing that kind of really squeaky efficiency um margins doesn't necessarily work that well in practice yeah in in my my experience anyway yeah you'd, you'd be sort of sacrificing potential cost of redesigns and your your time um yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting trade-off isn't it of of mm. trying to be as use the smallest smallest dimensions and uh, and be as most efficient and then and 
uh yeah but obviously if, if it's going to cost loads then people can't do it anyway so uh they won't yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and without with our with engineers fees it's very quickly you can you, you can spend a, an extra beam design the cost of us redesigning the beam you could buy another beam for that for that cost right. usually <laughs> so you might as well just buy it like you can get you can pay me to redesign it for a slightly slightly closer to the bone section or you can just buy the one that you've size yeah and yeah that'll be the same price <laughs> yeah um you you talked a little bit there about um uk timber i'm intrigued uh, mm-hmm. to sort of dig into that a little bit more uh actually on our last heartwind build uh, we always try mm-hmm. to use local timber as, as much as possible and the year before last in scotland that was absolutely not a problem uh, lots and lots of trees in mm-hmm. scotland and before that in Wales, again, really not an issue. Uh, but this uh, last summer we were building in Suffolk. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I was looking for a local sawmill that could grade the timber. And I, mm. I asked absolutely everybody and got a general know what you're talking about uh, response. And this was all UK grown uh, mm. timber uh, that, was generally being shipped across from somewhere in the West to, to Suffolk. Um, mm. And it just, as we were running out of time and it was getting closer and closer to the build, uh, my, my probably biggest regret of that build is that we plumped for just getting some European timber, uh, sort of <laughs> you know, C, C24 European timber, thinking, you know, it'll probably come from Scotland or Scandinavia or somewhere like that. Uh, mm. And it won't be so bad. And then it all turned up on a uh, a truck from uh, where was it Estonia, somewhere like that, Latvia, Estonia. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, I just yeah put my head in my hands, and then I went and worked <laughs> out the, the carbon of actually shipping all of that uh, all that <laughs> way, and realised that we should have just actually got some from a UK uh, uh, mill, a mill in the UK that could have could have graded it and then transported it across the country rather than across the continent. Yeah, I mean, uh, knowing about the sourcing of timber, that's, that's probably something that you um, you come across more than than I do sort of in my day-to-day life. But, yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting, though, because if you're sort of thinking about the carbon and carbon offsetting as well, I've heard other people talk about the, the argument for um, – so a lot of those Eastern European trees um, countries are – I don't know about a lot, but there's some of them that are over over covered in forests, and we we have a like a low forest covering. We're trying to increase our covering of sort of woodland and forest um, in the UK. So there's there's something about maybe using using the trees from where they don't want trees, don't need mm. trees, and keeping our our UK timbers in the in the ground. I don't know. There's arguments for. All sorts of uh, different standpoints, so, but it, but it was interesting talking to somebody about about that recently, and I was thinking, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I can see where they're coming from on that perspective. Mm. Yes, as always, I don't think there's ever a, a truly like correct answer. Uh, you just have to know. Ah, uh, yeah, what? Well, yeah, yeah. All the different factors. And Your own priorities, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and things will change won't they so so that to people a lot of sort of just like oh well what do we do which 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 um which insulation do we choose which heating system do we choose well that kind of thing and i think you've just got to make the best decision you can at the time like in my house um i i've done um, internal wall insulation and uh, when we moved in there was no heating system so i we put a, a gas boiler in this was four or five years ago now if i were doing it now i would probably look at a heat pump but that was the best um option at the time four or five years yeah. ago that the the, um, the carbon intensity of the electricity grid was very different to what it is now um and gas was a better option but yeah you've just got to you just got to do something haven't you and make the make the best of the options you've got at the time very much so um so uh i wanted to come back to your your twitter bio again uh <laughs> and talk uh you're passionate about diversity and construction um do you want to mm-hmm. yeah. explain explain a little about that yeah um so most people when they um think about diversity and in whatever industry it is a lot of what we talk about um at the moment is is women in women in construction or women in stem subjects um and that tends to be people's um uh sort of understanding of diversity that will just get more women into the into the industries and that'll be that Mm -hmm. um but i'm definitely interested in sort of the wider wider diversity than just women in in engineering or women in construction, looking at sort of racial diversity, gender diversity, um, disability diversity, all all sorts of those kind of things. That's that's what I'm I'm passionate about. I think, yeah, so. yeah. And do you have any kind of ideas of of how we could could do better to to increase that diversity? Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about this, thinking that you'd probably ask me about that. Um, <laughs> I, I think, so um, like I, the company that I work at at the moment, Build Collective, um, it's a great bunch of people. And um, I've I've been there five five years now. Um, and it's been a really great company to, to be in and to, to explore these kind of things in because um, we all work we all work um part-time um to various different hours i mean we're sort of all mostly my my director she probably doesn't work part-time most of the time but she she, theoretically she does um and um but it just it's sort of looking at that way and and giving people that option and it's been nice to have that option of working part-time so early on in my career because you you sort of come to I think it's thinking that oh, if, if I work for however many years, then I'll have the option of asking to go part time. Or if I have children, then I'll have the option of asking to go part time or sort of thinking about those kind of things. But it's been nice to have that option. Yeah. So early on in my career. And, and it's been it's been really great for me. Um, I work four days a week. Um, so having having that extra day has been great. Um, and um yeah yeah so that's a a really simple thing isn't it that's yeah yeah to make a massive difference to to a wide variety of people just in yeah in part-time that's it's such a simple yeah yeah because it works it works well a lot of people who are looking after children um and it particularly works well for encouraging women in 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 an industry um and uh yeah, I'm disabled as well, so I have a pain condition and I'm autistic. So having that extra day for for me for sort of recovery from the sort of usual work week is essential for me being able to work 
long term because that was how I came into sort of thinking about working part time is I'd worked full time for sort of um, I don't know maybe 18 months at a maximum and then I'd and then I'd burnt out and had to have time off and mm. I was it, I was then sort of coming back to it thinking I, I need to find a solution that I that will work for me that is sustainable for me um in the long term and I've I've tweaked around with my hours since going part time, and I've found a found a good position for me that means that I can sustain a sort of normal year pattern of having having the sort of normal four weeks holiday, um, and and keep that going for yeah five years now, which is the longest I've ever had a job. <laughs> um, so uh, without having to need sort of a month or so off to recuperate, but um, yeah, so having having that option of to be able to try those things out and for it not to be something that is a perk of having worked there a certain amount of time or having a mm. certain level of seniority. Um, it just means, and, it, and it's, yeah, cause it's about keeping, keeping staff as well. People wanting to work with us and for us. Um, yeah. And it, it just makes a, a better working environment, I think. Um, yeah. Do you have a sense of of what kind of percentage of of uh, engineers are actually female? Um, oh, I don't. I, I did know these things, but I can't remember. It was something around ten to fourteen ish percent. I think they've done a survey recently. The um, Royal Academy of Engineering, um, hmm. a a diversity in engineering survey, which was basically a women in engineering survey with a little bit of racial diversity yeah. checked on the end. Um, but yeah, so so they've looked at the different sectors within the engineering banner. Um, I, um, sort of the construction industry, civil engineering was wasn't too bad, and compared to some of them, but it was it wasn't the. I think mechanical engineering was the best, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's there's a good document on the Royal Academy of Engineering website about that, which is really really interesting and talks about. Um, it's got loads of examples of good practice. Um, in, in companies and how to encourage diversity. Yeah. One of which being working, working part-time and uh, yeah. people, I think, especially in the construction industry or whether especially in the construction industry, it's in the construction industry, people are like, Oh, how do you manage to work part-time? How, don't you, don't you get people sort of wanting you to work all of the time? And how do you keep your days off days off? And I'm like, well, I just, if people call me, I can make the choice whether to answer my, most people have my mobile phone, which I, is my personal mm. mobile as well. But, um, so I, I generally can know if I, if it's a work call, um, but I, and then I can make the decision whether to answer it or, or not. But then at least if, if people know I have on my email signatures now, which when my days off are, um, so then if people call on, on my day off, they're generally very apologetic about it, which is, um, (laughs) and, um, and I know that I've made that choice to answer or, or I don't, if I'm, if I need a particular day off and, and I just, I just tell people that I can't come on that day. Yeah, and and if they're desperate, I can send one of my colleagues because we generally we split our work week so that we cover all days between us, but we're not necessarily all there on all of the days. Um, but uh, yeah, so you just tell people no. I think I generally think if people have planned their project well, they 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 won't need you to be dropping everything at a moment's notice. Mm. Um, so I I 
<laughs> probably not particularly sympathetic to people who are desperately <laughs> needing everything yesterday. <laughs> but hey, hey. <laughs> I, I've definitely yeah. been guilty of that occasionally. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes things go wrong, and uh, yeah, it depends on how people how people approach it as well. You're more inclined to be to drop things for people who've who've been nicer to you for the rest of the yeah. project. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, That's yeah. another tip for getting the best out of your engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or knowing whether you want to work with me or not. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there anything else you yeah. wanted to say in terms of uh, sort of diversity? Uh, yeah. Um, I do think it's about it's about making a choice to do that as well, and it does have to be, I think, a, a sort of a conscious effort to encourage diversity in your company or or whatever in your in in the teams that you're working in. Yeah, I don't, it isn't going to happen just by it isn't going to happen just by making part time an option and just by whatever it, it will help, but it won't. Um, yeah, it won't. It isn't the pants here hmm. it's just yeah it, 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 you have to make a conscious effort to to hire people from minority backgrounds and and the and knowing that that is beneficial to your company as well i think mm-hmm. having people from different backgrounds it's not just a sort of nice thing to put on your website or whatever it is it is valuable and it it, it does it does enhance your from our perspective it enhances our designs our approach to designs our approach to clients our approach to projects in general um it, it just it makes it makes the company better having a diverse workforce yeah. and um that's i think you've got to see it. And, I, and i think some people uh, it's, it's difficult for being from a minority sort of perspective as well people get funny about you um about only being chosen like if you if you're only being chosen for an event because they needed to get their diversity quota up yes i don't know I, people you sort of feel hesitant about that because yeah but i i think i i tend to think about it in terms of sort of white middle class men will have got from general perspective, in the, mm-hmm. particularly in the construction industry, will have got there also because they are white middle class men. It's not just because they're good at their job that yeah. they've been chosen for something. It is because they fit the mould of um, of what's expected mm. um, from from a yeah. So I, I don't really mind <laughs> being being chosen to get the diversity up because yeah. I don't know. It's also it's also got to start somewhere. So definitely. Uh, if I'm yeah, if I'm that person. Then I'm that person, and if it means somebody else can can actually get chosen because they have been recognised for good, being good at their job, then that's that's fine as well. So I've got one final thing that I wanted to. Uh, just, okay. I just just the the uh, phrase uh, efficient humble design really made me smile. I wanted to just uh, <laughs> uh, just to find out. I, I wonder if what I feel is humble design is uh, what you do as well. Um, so yeah, I'm <laughs> intrigued to, to sort of uh, see what see what you were thinking about that. Yeah, I think um, I my my interest is not particularly in sort of passive house or or the low energy world. It's not for the one off. Um, 
bespoke grand designs type houses um whilst they're interesting from a sort of an intellectual point of view and the, and the challenges they pose are interesting um it it um i'm more interested in making these things simple and and cost effective so that they're available to everyone to people who don't think that they can afford um sort of a, a, a sustainable house or a low energy house or a low carbon house making things simple so that so that those things are available to to more than just the people with the money to afford to be the the sort of um what they yeah the sort of leaders in in the and and they have their value those kind of projects because somebody needs to be able to sort of fund those kind of innovative Mm. projects to get these things started um but i think we're sort of past that now with the sustainability sort of low energy low carbon world we we're we're into the point where we can we have enough knowledge behind and 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 projects behind us to be able to learn from in order to start optimizing um designs and uh yeah so that things can become um more cost efficient um for other people i'm particularly interested in um social housing and and making passive house and, and super low energy um, comfort standards available to um, to help um, fuel poverty and um, people who can't can't afford to buy their own homes uh, making it available to to them yeah it's That's one of the great interest. great injustices isn't it that the, the, the very uh, affluent people can can afford to get their their cheap to run house uh, while the, the people that mm. can't can't afford to run their house uh they're they're on the, the really inefficient uh you know money wasting uh sort of end of the end of the housing market yeah yeah definitely um so it's part of what i did with um with my house um that i i do own but it's um it's an ex-council house and some of the sort of similar houses are still uh, under social housing ownership so mm-hmm. i wanted to do something for this house type which is quite common across um, this uh, our area um so that it could be sort of if cost effective and and sort of simple and something that could be rolled out for social housing providers and sort of give a model for that and and also do a bit of learning on on what we've done so that they yeah. don't have to do that yeah great now how's that gone um yeah it's going slowly because we're doing it in stages um so we've done the internal wall insulation got a central heating system put in um we've only got two radiators so so one upstairs one downstairs um which the plumber was very sad about (laughs) doing (laughs) he he was convinced we're gonna freeze um he only lives just down the road but he yeah he's convinced we're, we're gonna freeze in the winter um so um he, I chose the radiator downstairs because it looks pretty. Basically, I've got one of those sort of tile, the high aesthetic ones that doesn't give out much heat. Right. Um, and then I let him choose the radiator for upstairs. Um, and he's like chosen the biggest one he could possibly find <laughs> to fit in the space. And it's like tropical upstairs most of the time. When the... Oh, <laughs> um, bless, he was so, worried about you. But he, 
Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like three, because I did um, an energy model on, on the house before doing it and, and worked out what sort of energy requirements we need for, for the radiators. And, and that radiator in itself, once we've done all of the retrofit measures, will be enough to like do the heating load three times over, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it keeps the plumber happy. Yeah. So there we go. Um, and the. Uh, uh, yeah, so we, we've done we done internal wall insulation because um, we live in the bath area, so covering bath stone is a big no-no. So we've had to do internal wall insulation um, and done a bit of loft insulation um, and, yeah, efficient heating system um, and insulated the ground floor, which it was a concrete slab, so inter- internally insulated that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so the next things are to do something with the roof which i'm not sure what we're going to do yet so whilst we were doing the internal wall installation and the slab we've done air tightness an air tightness barrier um but now it's what to do with the loft and the yeah the cold roof um so at the moment i'm looking at maybe replacing the whole thing and doing a sort of cathedral ceiling um but partly because I can't be bothered to air tightness tape around all of the ceiling joists. <laughs> and the, the, the felt does need replacing anyway. So I, it does need re-roofing anyway. The structure's fine, but yeah. so I might, well, maybe it'll, but yeah, get into cost at the moment. Um, and then a ventilation system alongside that, looking at MPHR. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, it's going and and then the windows and doors as well. They're currently double glazed UPVC, so right. replacing them with triple glazed timber windows, we would do. But um, yeah, so it's going in stages. It's it's good at the moment. Yeah, bit of mould around the windows because we've got now got a thermal bridge. Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> solve one problem, create another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you feel uh, on the the windows uh, front uh, at the the Green Ridge the Hot Topic event? Uh, someone mm. was saying, I forget whose talk it was. They were saying about how adding the extra pane of glass to make triple glazing, the amount of energy in making the glass would never be paid back. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, okay. The window. How do you feel about that? I mean, I don't, I I mean, there's all those kind of energy and carbon calculations that honestly isn't, is not my area of expertise and other people yeah. can do, do the numbers, but I think that, I don't know, there's so many, there's so many things to go into that. And I think one of the reasons from a pacifist perspective, one of the main reasons for having triple glazed is for the um, surface temperatures so that you don't get uh, radiant cooling from the windows rather than mm. it doesn't mass- massively impact the u value obviously it does impact the u value but not massively um yeah uh, so yeah there's there, there's so many arguments into this and you can get into so much detail and and the, and then i think it can also like i was saying earlier it can stall you from making any decisions um if you mm. if you're stuck between what, what is the exact right thing to do but sometimes it's just about doing something and and then learning from it and, and making that knowledge also available so that other people can learn from it um which is good for some of the the um the house databases that are available like the past house trust have a database and also the low 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 energy building database as well uh, through the acb sort mm-hmm. of making that knowledge available so that other people can learn from it as well
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thank you so much to Beth. That was a wonderful conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you all did at home. It was definitely um, on the geekier end, maybe the more in-depth. Uh, I imagine some of you might have tuned out if it was too much, but hopefully you're you're still with us now. Um, I just wanted to say that there'll be all the, the links will be in the show notes to AECB, uh, Build Collective, Passive House Database, Low Energy Building Database. I'll also put a link to Beth's Twitter feed, which is a really great, really great resource. I've enjoyed reading a lot of the links she's put there, uh, especially the stuff about diversity. As always, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, hit subscribe on whatever device you listen to this on and check back through the previous episodes. There's a whole load more on construction, sustainability, craft. So I hope you're staying safe and staying well there'd be another episode coming directly after this see you soon bye bye there's a bloody dog barking in the background hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.